Amen. Welcome to Amen Podcast. Today, Alex is preaching about how to draw near to God so that He will draw near to you, as promised in James 4.8. I'm going to read the text, which is Psalms 119, verses 145 through 152, and then Alex will take it from there. 145. I call with all my heart. Answer me, Lord. I will obey your statutes. I call to you. Save me and I will keep your decrees. I rise before dawn and cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. In keeping with your faithful love, hear my voice. Lord, give me life in keeping with your justice. Those who pursue evil plans come near. They are far from your instruction. You are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago, I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. Amen. This letter that starts all these eight verses is the Hebrew letter Kampf, and it looks like the eye of a needle. So if you've ever seen a sewing needle, at the top there's a hole, it's called the eye, and you put the thread through that. Jesus mentioned something like this in the New Testament where he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, he could have been talking about a gate that was called the eye of a needle. Um, and for a camel to get through that, it'd have to get on its knees, all four knees, and like crawl through it. It'd basically be impossible to get a, a camel through that. Or the uh, Aramaic word chameleon means rope. So camel, chameleon, like it was, they could have got lost in translation. And so he could have actually been saying, trying to get a rope through the eye of a needle. Either way, the point is it's impossible, which is why Versus after that, the disciples were like, who can get into heaven then if rich people aren't going? Because they thought rich people were blessed by God. So surely the rich are getting into heaven, right? Because they have all these riches. God says that only with him is it possible. With God, all things are possible. So it's impossible for anyone to get into heaven. Rich, poor, you, me. The only way we're getting in is if we are near. So this, mm. these eight verses starting with this, uh, letter that's looks like the eye of a needle. What it's trying to teach us is that unless you thread the needle of nearness to God, you're not getting in. Unless you're so close to God that you can thread the needle of the requirements to be accepted by a holy God, you're not getting in. Jesus threaded that needle mm-hmm. perfectly. Didn't touch any sides. He went right through like it was the most spiritual, powerful, holiest game of operation. Didn't touch one side, no buzzing. He threaded the needle perfectly because of how he perfectly obeyed the law of God. And so we're going to walk through what it looks like to draw near to God because the little brother, Jesus, half brother, promises he will draw near to you if you do this. But the, the problem is we have no idea on how to draw near to him in the first place. But as we look at these eight verses, we're going to see four things that you must do to, to draw near to God. And then the two things that God does as he draws near to us. But we have to look at the first four things that we do first. So check this out. In verse 145, it says, I call with all my heart say that. I call with all my heart. What he's saying is he's quaking. The first thing you must do if you want to draw near to God is you have to quake. 
when, when in our culture, when someone says I'm quaking, I'm quaking, they mean I'm like shocked or I'm excited or I'm full of fear, right? This te- I have a huge test tomorrow. I'm quaking in fear or, oh my gosh, girl, he's so cute. I'm quaking, right? It's just, it's, it's this meaning of like reverence of there's, there's something different about what I'm going to experience right now. We have to quake. When an earthquake happens, I grew up in California, and so we'd have little earthquakes here and there. And when you feel one, everything stops. I mean, you don't just keep on paying attention to the TV that you're watching, or you don't just keep scrolling on Instagram. You you look up, eyes wide open, you drop whatever you're doing, and for a moment, you're quaking because you feel the earth shake. And we think in our minds, the earth is not supposed to shake. What's happening? And there's a fear that runs through your bo- your body. We must have that. Christ had that when he called out with all his heart to God. If you look at Mark 14, 36, he says, Abba, Father, if there's any other way. And then in Romans 8, 15, he says, you don't have the spirit of fear in you anymore. You have the spirit of sonship by which you're able to cry out, Abba, Father. So before we weren't able to approach God as Father, but when Christ came now, we can quake with fear in our hearts as we call out to God as Father, not as a distant God up in heaven ready to beam you for every little bad thing that you do. He is a God that is a Father. He's a Father to you because of what His Son has done. He's a Father so great. He loved you so deeply. He was able to send his son to take your place to satisfy his wrath so he could forgive you of all those things. And his son, Jesus, willingly went. He didn't have to trick Jesus into it. He didn't have to twist Jesus' arm. Jesus was in on the whole thing. And he, what kind of father must he have been if Christ willingly went to the cross? Knowing what it would entail, he said, If there's any other way, yet, Father, your will be done, not mine. He willingly accepted the wrath of God. We saw how bad Noah's flood was. It was so bad, God said, I'm never doing that again. Here's a rainbow to prove it. Think about how bad that is. And Noah's flood couldn't hold a candle to what the cross was. The judgment and the wrath of the cross far outshadowed what happened in Noah's flood. Mm. Why would Jesus willingly go to that? He quaked with fear when he saw his father. He loved him so deeply. What type of father is this? It's the kind that you must quake before. He says, answer me, Lord. I will obey your statutes. I call to you, save me, and I will keep your decrees. The second thing you must do is rake. You got to quake, you got to rake. When when the psalmist says, I call to you, save me, it's reminiscent of when Jesus is up on the cross and he says in Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? Save me. He's calling out to God, but he's not getting saved. Jesus, Jesus didn't need to be saved because he had never sinned. He didn't need salvation. His name in itself is salvation. Jesus is salvation. God is salvation. He didn't need to be saved, but he put himself in a position where we were the ones that needed to be saved. He put himself in the position to 
to be in that place because we were the ones that needed to be saved. So he called out for saving and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? I'm here. I need you. When he lived his whole life in communion with God, why was he saying that? He was saying it on the behalf of us because he was feeling the wrath of God that was supposed to be for us on himself. Mm-hmm. And so he's calling out, save me, I will keep your decrees. He already did that. He had always kept the decrees of God. He always raked. He always, he would quake and he would rake. When this word keep, it means to guard God's testimonies. Um, another way of translating this word keep is hedges, right? So we have some hedges in our backyard. And in order for them to grow correctly, we have to rake them. There's a spot in the middle where the hedges are like dying. And it's because there was a tree that was dropping on top of the these hedges and they weren't raked properly. And so the hedges right there died. And it's not really that much of a hedge anymore. People can see right through <laughs> to our house. You know, it takes away our privacy. If you take care of the hedges in your spiritual life, mm. God will let them grow tremendously and you will have the security of walking closely to God and keeping his testimonies. His testimonies reveal who he is. So the the hedging about and the keeping of his decrees happens when you take care of him, when you rake out the parts that don't need to be there. There can be things in your life that are choking out your hedges. And so raking them, getting them out, allows those hedges to grow deep and allows you to grow in more security and more safety as you get to know who God is, as he reveals more of who you are. If you want to draw near to God, you have to quake, you have to rake. But the next thing you have to do is you have to wake. I want you to say quake right now, driving in the car, if you're in the kitchen, wherever you are, if you're on a run, say quake. People might look at you weird, but just say quake. And then now say rake. And now say wake. You're not saying it. Wake. Still got to <laughs> say the other two. Anyway, you got to wake. Okay, so 147. I rise before dawn and I cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. I rise before dawn. Now, this is the part where you're going to want to turn off this podcast. You have to get up early. I've talked about this before. Why? There's significance in the morning. Why does the psalmist mm-hmm. say, I rise before dawn? Dawn is when the light shows up. Why? Why then? Because the morning time was symbolic of God's mercies. He shows up as faithful as the sun shows up. The sun rises every single day without any of us having to tell it to do so, without any of us having to set an alarm saying, don't forget, son, you got to get up today at this time. It does it by itself. God faithfully shows up with new mercies every single day. What does that mean? It means every day God has decided to not give you what you deserve on this day. Mm -hmm. Most all of us don't deserve to wake up. And so the fact that you wake up and you see the sun, it means God's mercies are new for you that day because you deserved to die in your sleep. Because even in your sleep, you're committing iniquities. Iniquities are sins that you don't even know or try to really even commit. They just you just, because you're a sinner, they happen. You know, all of us are born into sin. My, my little baby girl is one years old. She sins every single day. She screams, 
yells, throws her food as we tell her not to throw her food. She's born a sinner. We're all born sinners because of the first Adam ate of that tree. And in Adam all died because in Adam all sin. And if we were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. We're all born with this problem that is way too big for us to solve on our own. God has to solve it. But he gives us new mercies every morning. And the morning time is a time all throughout scripture where the people of Israel are commanded to work. Jesus even alludes to it when he talks to the disciples. He's saying, while it's morning time, get to work. While it's morning time, harvest, go out, do the great commission. Cause right now it's still the morning, but the night is coming and the night is coming when the day is done and it's time for the Lord to come back. It's time for him to take us to be with him. That time is coming. So work while it's day. The morning time is a time where God would like to meet with you. Here's Jesus's Proof to back it up. Mark 135. No excuses. The whole city, the Bible talks about in this chapter, shows up at Peter's door. Jesus had just got done healing Peter's mother-in-law, who was really sick. She immediately gets up and makes them meals, makes them food. Wastes no time. And then people hear that they're at Peter's house. And so Peter uh, opens the door. Here's the whole town. Demon-possessed, sick people, lame people, all wanting to see Jesus, all wanting to be healed. He healed all of them. He took care of all of them. How long was, this was dinner time. So how long must this have taken for the Lord to do this? And then it says in Mark 135, before it was dawn, before the sun came up, the other son, the S-O-N, got up and he went to go spend time with God alone. Before dawn, why would he do that? He's living out this verse. He was the one that was always drawing near to God. He he could not draw nearer to God. He was already God, 100%, 100% man, 100% God. He was one with the Father, he claimed in the book of John. He said, I, I rise before dawn and I cry out for help. Even in his Godhood, he still depended on the Father. He said, God, as I walk through this world, as I'm faced with temptation, because the Bible tells us he was faced with temptation, yet without sin, he depended on God's help every single day. He cried out for help before the dawn. You got to do that. A person that wakes up before the sun to meet with God is saying that I depend on the son of God. I don't depend on sleep. I don't depend on food. I don't depend on even the physical light of the sun. I depend on the light that comes from the Son of God. It is all important that what we do with our body affects what we do with our spiritual life. When you kneel before God, your heart kneels. Mm -hmm. When you wake up early, when your body doesn't want to wake up early, what you're saying is, I depend only on God. More important is my time with God than my time asleep. Mm. So I have to put my, my phone on the other side of the room. And I have seconds to turn off my alarm when it rings or it'll wake up my kids. <laughs> if my kids wake up, I can't have time with God. If my kids wake up, they won't go back to bed. It's a nightmare. They'll, they'll be up at 4 a.m. with me and I'll be sitting there in the dark mad, you know, drinking my coffee with kids crawling all over me. 
So I have seconds to turn off my alarm. It, it commands me to get up. And once I'm up and my blood is running through my body and I'm on my feet, then to go back to bed, I would feel like a fool, right? <laughs> like God saw me get up and run across the room, turn off my alarm. And now I'm going back to bed. That's pathetic, right? I'm not going to let the devil win like that. And so do what you got to do to put more trust in God. Do what you got to do. This is what it takes to draw near to him. If it's not true, why would it be in here twice? Look at, it says 148. I am awake through each watch of the night. I meditate on your promise. Matthew 14, 22. Everybody is meeting with, with Jesus. The crowds are there. He's feeding them. He's taking care of them. He's taking care of them. And then they all go home. The disciples get in the boat. Jesus goes up on a mountainside to pray. And it's, it's already evening. They go on the other side of the boat. Jesus comes watching on the, walking on the fourth night watch, which is, this is right before the dawn. He comes walking on the water. That means all night he was praying and walking. So he spent a lot of time praying on that mountainside, talking to his father. And you know, he wasn't just talking nonsense. He wasn't just repeating himself over and over and over again, because the Bible tells us that we don't have to talk to God that way. He already knows what you need. You don't have to heap up these majestic, magnificent kind of prayers that are like real repetitive and crazy and religious sounding. He's your father. He tells us in Luke 11, verse two, approach him as father. May your name be kept holy. You know, we have a whole series on our podcast called How to Pray. It's a, And it's on uh, the Lord's Prayer. We don't have to talk to him like that. Just get straight to the point. Whatever Christ was talking to his father about, for that long, it was really important and not repetitive. He was talking, talking, and then he spent some of the night walking on the water. Why walking? He's not in a rush. No one rushes God. No one pushes God and say, God, hey, hey, go, go, go. He walks at his own pace. He walks across the water, and right before the dawn, the disciples see him. It's still dark, and they're like, it's a ghost. And he says, no, it's not. It's me. Calm down. It's just me. What is happening here? Jesus is the walking, talking, meditation, manifestation of the word of God. He is meditation manifested in the flesh. When it says, I am awake through each walk of the night, each walk of the night, watch of the night, Jesus is that. Awake, ready to connect with God. Think, what does it mean to meditate? It means to talk about. We think of meditation as like cross your legs, Indian style, put your hands up and your index and your thumb need to touch and your other three fingers need to be pointed out. Whatever that stuff means, it's nonsense. That's not meditation. Meditation is simply talking about something often. My sons meditate on sharks. They talk about it over and over again. They say they spit out all the facts they know about sharks and they talk about it all the time. What if we see a shark here? Would it be crazy if we saw a shark at this beach? It, they talk about it so much, they meditate on sharks. A person that is always talking about the word of God is a person that meditates on the word of God. Jesus was always talking about the Father, always talking about the greatness and the beauty of the law of God. He was the walking, talking manifestation of the meditation of God on God's word. So what he's saying is this. You don't have to never sleep again. God is the one that never sleeps. He never gets tired, never slumbers. So he can watch over us 
through every watch of the night. But what he's saying is sleep is not as important as talking over and over again to yourself about the promises of God. When he says, I meditate on your promise, every promise in the word of God, every time it's alluded to our salvation, it's pointing back to one promise. You know what that promise is? It's the promise that God gave to Abraham that you will be mine and I will be yours. Abraham's family, it was promised to Abraham that Abraham's kids would be belonging to God and God would belong to them. But he only had two sons and only one of them was the child of promise, right? He had Ishmael, which was his kid by a slave girl, which wasn't God's plan, but God still blessed the slave girl, blessed Ishmael. Then he had Isaac. Isaac was the kid of promise that God promised. Took a long time for Isaac to come. Abraham and Sarah were really old, but it was the, she was the child of promise because it was through Isaac that would come Jacob. Through Jacob, that would come the 12 sons, one of them, Judah. Through Judah, that would come David. And through David, all these kids, all the way down to Jesus, who was the promised seed. And it wasn't just those physical kids of Abraham that were going to belong to God. It was those who trusted in the promised seed, which was Jesus, who was God's son born through Abraham's family because of Mary. And so what happens there is this. He says, through Christ, you have received the spirit of adoption. When you believe in Christ, which isn't anything of your own to boast, God has to give you the faith to believe in Christ. Once he gives you that, when you put your trust in him, what happens is you get adopted into God's family, into Abraham's family. So the promise that God gave to Abraham, which was, you will be my people, that's a promise that we're always meditating on when we talk about any scripture, when we talk about the goodness of God, when we talk about the faithfulness of God, when we talk about the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, all those times we talk about what this book says, we're reflecting and we're meditating on the promise that he made to our family. This is our family we're talking about. Salvation is a family affair. When he took Egypt out of, or took the people of Israel out of Egypt, when he saved them, it was a family affair. He was saying, I am not going to allow these people to be treated the way they are. Their cries have come up to heaven. I hear them. I'm going to save them because I want to show them how good my kindness is to them. The Bible says uh, through David that David saw that God wanted to pour out his loving kindness on the people of Israel. And so that was part of the reason why David led the people of Israel the way he did. He's a picture of Christ. Christ saw that God wanted to pour out his loving kindness on his children. And so the obedience and the commitment to the will of God that Jesus had was a love out of love he had for the Father. He loved him so dearly. He loved the way that he treated his children. He loved the way that he had a plan for his children to save them. He loved everything about who God was. And so he willingly obeyed him. And he walking, talking, he was a walking, talking meditation on the promise of God. If you want to draw near to him, you have to 
not just quake, you have to rake, you have to wake, and lastly, you have to spake. When someone says, you know, um, you can, you know, you can say I spoke to someone, or you can say, you know, I spake. You know, I, I was. It's kind of like an old, what is it? Maybe seventieth, what is it? Seventh century. It's some old King James type speaking, but um, you know, it's a word. Spake. When someone spake, they said something. And when you are walking through life, it every single day when you lay your head on your pillow, it needs to be true that you spake about the word of God that day. Mm. You meditated on it. Mm-hmm. Because to spake means you talked about it. You you talked about it over and over again, whether it was in your head, whether it was someone. What I do, you know, my son caught me doing this yesterday in the garage. I was spaking my message over and over again. I was reciting verses in my head as I was in the garage, putting on my shoes, and my son's looking out the window like, this guy's so weird, talking to himself. Spake. <laughs> You must quake, you must rake, you must wake, and you must spake. Mm-hmm. If you do these four things, you will draw near to God. But I know what you're thinking. I don't do those four things. And that's why Christ was the example of all those things. Yeah. He did them all so that you could do them. Mm. He did them all. And yet on the cross, was God near to him? Was God the Father near to him? No. Why? He did everything perfectly. I see it right here. Why would you say, why would he say, do these things if it didn't work for the Lord? It didn't, we didn't see the father close to Jesus because Jesus, as he drew near, the father turned his face away and he turned his face towards us. The sacrifice that Christ did was perfect Mm -hmm. and it was for us Mm -hmm. so that God could draw near to you. When Jesus needed God the Father, he was far. So that when you need God the Father, he will be near. Check this out. This is what it looks like when God draws near to you. If you do these four things, quake, rake, wake, spake, through the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering you to be like Christ, he will lake and he will stake. God will lake and he will stake. Look at verse 149, in keeping with your faithful love, hear my voice. Lord, give me life in keeping with your justice. He says, okay, I've drawn near to you now. Now in keeping with your faithful love, hear my voice. Hear my voice. This, I mean, I, on the cross, here is Christ speaking to Father, speaking to the Father. The Father's not hearing his voice. Why? Because he's turning towards you so he can hear your voice. He took that sacrifice. But look, in Luke chapter five, Jesus goes and he's on the shore. He's on the beach. There's tons of people there. So he sees two boats. Jesus is very, he's very, what's the word? When you observant, he's very observant. He sees these people in need. They need to hear a message from God. There's tons of too many people. He observes that. He turns around. He looks on the water, looks in the lake. The Sea of Galilee was called a sea, but it was really just a lake, a freshwater lake. He sees the boats there, and he asks Peter and the guys, hey, can I borrow your boats? And he, they push out in the boats. He's observant. Look around you and see the things that God has placed around you to use so that you can reach more people. 
what is your boat? Because he goes out on the boat and he uses the reflection of the water to project his voice. He pushes out on the boat. He speaks loudly as a natural megaphone, a natural microphone for the people to hear him. He laked his voice. When you draw near to God through quake, rake, wake, and spake, what God will do to you is he'll lake your voice. When you draw near to him, what he does is Christ switches positions with you. He stays on the shore. He puts you out on the boat so that when you speak, your voice projects off the living water, which is the word of God, and God hears your voice clearly. The people that day, as Jesus spoke, they could clearly hear his voice, even though he was maybe even 100, 200 yards away because of the natural projection of the water. But what God does is he says, I'm going to be on the shore. You're going to be on the lake. And one day that boat's going to come in. We're going to talk face to face. But for right now, your voice is perfectly projected into my ears and I will hear perfectly everything that you say because you've drawn near to me. He lakes your voice. Right now, you have the ability to talk to the Father. Right now, you have the ability for God to hear you clearly when you call out to him because the Holy Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He's our Father, and we are His. Verse 150, those who pursue evil plans come near. They are far from your instruction. 151, but you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago, I learned from your decrees, decrees are the testimonies, the things that reveal who He is, that you have established them forever. Now, this is powerful because what it's saying is as trouble draws near to you, God draws near to you in your trouble. If trouble's near, so will God the Father be to you. Now, the psalmist is saying, this is why I need to draw near to God because of this trouble that's drawing near. There's people who pursue evil plans coming near to me, and that's why I'm drawing near to you. That's why I quake, I rake, I wake, and I spake. There's going to always be something in your life or someone in your life that is going to cause you to wake up and quake up and rake up and spake up so that you could get near to God. If it wasn't for trouble, you probably wouldn't draw near to him. So he allows trouble to happen. Now, he's talking about, the psalmist is talking about people. And you may not have a specific person, but it may just be a specific circumstance or maybe specific temptation, because look at Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. Let's read this real quick. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3 says this. It says, in which you previously, well, let's start at verse 1, chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit now working in the disobedient. The spirit that is working, Satan is a spirit. And he is the spirit that is working in the disobedient, those who do not obey God. So it says this, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we are, we were nature, we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Your, your flesh inclines you to do dumb stuff, to do stuff that is disobedient to God, to do stuff that brings death and destruction upon you. 
The wages of sin is death. Your flesh inclines you to do that, and we obey it. Not only that, the spirit of the power of the air is pushing you towards that too. Satan's doing that too. He's the spirit behind Hollywood. He's the spirit behind these horrible, nasty videos and movies and songs that are pumping out every single day in our culture. Mm. He's a spirit behind that. So much so that if you look at uh, Ephesians 6, 12, he reiterates this. Paul, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. I was thinking about this yesterday in the shower. There's this video that went viral, and it's this black guy. He's in a car, and this uh, older white lady rolls down her window, and she's, like, pointing at him to put his window down. So he puts his window down. He's blasting his music, rap music, explicit music. And she says something about the music. He's like, you got a problem with my music? You got a problem with my music? And she says, no, no, your music, turn it up. I like it. And a lot of people in the comments are like, oh, this old grandma lady like just cured racism, right? Because she's like getting down to the music. She's dancing in front seat. So cute. So funny. But the point is the music is explicit. What type of spirit was this grandma under that she would ask, go out of her way to ask this guy to roll down the window in traffic so she could hear the explicit music that he was listening to? When this scripture in chapter six of Ephesians talks about that we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Other humans aren't our problem. It's the rulers and the authorities in these districts of the demonic realm that are opposing us. Mm -hmm. They're not dumb. They're very smart. Think about it. They've been around a lot longer than you and me, demons. They're spirits. They're eternal beings. And so they're going to delegate districts of areas to attack. And just like in our armies, we have generals, we have people who can like tell other soldiers what to do. The spiritual realm is set up like that. So what type of spirit is over an entire generation, an entire culture that says we are going to uplift and exalt the nasty, disgusting idols of hip hop culture. It doesn't have to be a demon for every single person. More humans have been on earth than, you know, probably for every little demon to assign themselves to one human. I mean, maybe there's tons and tons and tons of demons, but the point is they're not going to work that way. They're going to delegate areas in order to say, this spirit is going to be the spirit over Hollywood. This spirit is going to be the spirit over Wall Street. This spirit is going to be the spirit over whatever it is, only fans or whatever. The point is they have the ability to work behind the scenes as puppeteers. It's not flesh and blood. It's rulers and authorities, prince and power of the air that we're fighting against. So when this psalmist says these people who pursue evil plans are drawing near, these are people that are being influenced by Satan and his evil plan for the culture. Mm. At all times, evil is drawing near to you through Netflix, through YouTube, through TikTok, through maybe even people in your life, whatever it is, through your own flesh. 
Your flesh has evil plans. You could be that person that is pursuing evil plans and you are with you all the time. So don't you see the importance in needing to draw near to God? Your flesh doesn't want you to draw near to God. The world doesn't want you to draw near to God. And Satan doesn't want you to draw near to God. Mm -hmm. Satan has no problem making you think that you are already near to God. So you don't, don't actually draw near to him. Mm -hmm. He's fine with you doing that. Yeah. He may think the thing is in a lot of the religions and churches and different like denominations, there can be this false understanding of what it means to draw near to God. Because what we've done is we've decided we want to experience God but we don't want to experience his truth. Mm. This is what it says here. It says, you are near Lord and all your commands are true. So in that verse, verse 151, he's saying that the experience of God and the truth of his word, they go together. They're not separate. You can go to some churches that are so boring and dry, but it's full of truth. But the experience of God, the experience of the Holy Spirit, not there at all. You can go to some churches that are lit and you're experiencing all kinds of goosebumps and chicken skin. And you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm feeling it. But the commands that they're saying are God's in that church are not true. They're not God's commands. The truth is gone, but the experience is there. A lot of the guys that wrote the, the hymns, beautiful hymns, they got this, that experiencing God and experiencing his truth, his presence and his truth, they go together. Charles Spurgeon, he got this. Apostle Paul, he got this. The apostles, they got this. Jesus, they got, he got this. You can walk in the satisfying pleasure of experiencing God, and you can walk in his truth synonymously, simultaneously. At the same time, you can do this. We can't separate the two, but because we have, we have not drawn near to him. Mm. To draw near to God is to draw near the experience of his presence and the truth of his word simultaneously. If we do this, if we quake, we rake, we wake and we spake, God will lake your voice so he can hear you clearly, but he'll also stake. God is near, even though trouble is near to you. God is near to you because he stakes out right next to you. Psalms 34, 7. It says that the angel of the Lord encamps around about us. Who is the angel of the Lord? He is the pre-incarnate Jesus. The angel of the Lord is the, the commander host of the armies of God. He is the one who all the angels answer to. And there's a lot of angels. He is the one that says, I will encamp. I'm, I will send my angels to encamp and I will encamp because I'm omnipresent. I can be everywhere at once. Hebrews chapter one, verse 14 says, angels work for God and they serve us. They're sent to serve humans. The ones with God's Imago Dei, the image of God, angels are sent to serve us. In Psalms 34, 7, he says, God himself, Jesus himself will stake out the place next to you. Mm. That's how near he is. 
encamps around about you when we draw near to him. James says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. This is possible because of your son, Mm. Father God, Mm -hmm. because he always quaked with fear. He always raked to make sure that the hedges of, of keeping your word keeping your decrees, keeping your testimonies were well taken care of and and well um, securing. God, he always woke to spend time with you at hours when the physical sun wasn't even up. And he always spake to others about your goodness. And so, Lord, if we're like him, if you empower us to be like him, if 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 we look to him and we seek him, we will have the power that we need to draw near to you and we will see you lake. It will see you stake and we'll see our lives transform with more peace and more joy, more obedience, more satisfaction in your experience of your presence and walking in the truth of your word, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a part of the episode called after the amen, where we ask you a question to help you apply this message to your life. And our question today is what have you learned about, sorry, my voice got dry. What have you learned about God's nearness? My mouth got dry, not my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Final time. What have you learned about God's nearness? I think this is so good. And I think I'm just reminded of the fact that God is near because he loves us. I think a lot of times I like forget that and Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, he's near because he's holy and sovereign, you know, and he's just like, but I kind of like forget to focus on the fact that like he loves us. Like he's, he wants to be our God. You know, it's not like he is just doing it. And sometimes I really like do think that I think like, oh, this, he's just holy. And so that's why like, I'm his child, but he, he loves us. And I think it's so important to understand that because when we understand that we stop going to other things for love or for that, like the longing and this desire that we have to be loved and to belong Mm -hmm. to someone. And when we go to other things, we realize that they fail us. Right. And so I think, yeah, that's just so good. And just such a reminder that I need because when you know that this loving God wants to spend time with you because he loves you, then sometimes it is easier to like, be like, you know what? No, I need to wake up early because God loves me and he desires this time with me. He's not just commanding this of me because he's just like, you need to do it. Like, you know, a strict angry father, like he loves us. He's all, there's also a side of him that is very gentle and caring and kind. And so he wants to be with us. And I think, yeah, we think it's bad to have this longing to be loved, but it's only bad when we're trying to fill that longing with something other than God. You know, it's good to have that longing as long as you're fulfilling that with God's love and not something else or even like a relationship or marriage or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, or even if it's a thing, not a relationship, things that you buy or things that you do um, that makes you feel purposeful or valued. Um, And so that's what I'm just learning more about is his love for us. I mean, 
that's ultimately what led me to repentance <laughs> and surrender. But I think the enemy wants us to forget that even our own flesh too, because yeah. our flesh wants other things, right? Um, so yeah. Powerful. Yep. And it's, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. And so because we know how he, we love because he first loved us. Yes. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how great his love mm-hmm. you know, was demonstrated towards us. And so if we see that, the natural response is by power of the Holy Spirit is to respond in love. And so we want to draw near to him because we love him. Yes. And so we're willing to do what we want or willing to do whatever he wants because um, we love him and we're mm-hmm. willing to do whatever it takes as well because mm-hmm. we love him. So yeah, no matter how hard it is, but you know, he says, he says his commandments are not burdensome. Yep. So to quake and to rake and wake and spake, those things are not burdensome. Mm-mm. You know, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. So, well, yeah, that's where you'll find true joy, mm-hmm. even in that moment, you know, but the world, our flesh and the devil wants to convince us that we won't, that we'll yeah. just find like, I don't know, guilt or yeah. shame or whatever. But it's just, it's simply not true. Mm -hmm. He doesn't shame us. There's no shame or condemnation for those Mm -hmm. who are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Well, someone that is near and dear to our heart is you (laughs) because you support us um, by going to amenpodcast.com, keeping us funded so that we can continue to do this ministry until the day we die. So thank you guys. if you know a friend that wants to donate to a ministry like ours, a preaching ministry, reaching young people, people of all ages, all over the world, send them to amenpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, rate and review the podcast so that it can reach more people that way. We love you, and we'll see you in the next one. Yes. Go out and be the church. Amen.